start the service. Uh, just a reminder again that uh, before every service, we're going to have prayer a uh, half hour before service. Uh, that includes Wednesdays as well. And so uh, I'm going to ask that we honor that as a church. Uh, half hour before every service, I want us to be uh, in prayer up here. If if you're not going to be praying for whatever reason, I'm going to ask that you head downstairs to the fellowship area. And if you need to talk to someone down there, uh, you can take care of business down there. I understand that there are uh, things in service that happen and last-minute changes and people need to work those out. I get that. Uh, but <clears throat> if it doesn't have anything to do with the service, uh, take it downstairs, deal with it down there, and then come back up and, and pray. Amen. This needs to be, uh, we need to make prayer a priority in this church, a focus. And, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time on it. We're going to spend a lot of time on prayer moving forward. It is so vitally important uh, that we be a people of prayer. Uh, nothing is going to happen. Nothing is going to happen substantially uh, unless we do pray. So we need to, we need to really focus on prayer. Amen. And I'm glad that I'm talking to a people who are in perfect agreement. You guys, you guys know how to pray. Uh, I know that and I am thankful for that. Men's ministry is, uh, having a camp on August 19th through the 21st of this year. Uh, iron to iron. Is that how that is? That's true too. <laughs> Amen. Uh, it's going to be at the, uh, at the campgrounds. Uh, if you haven't registered and you know you can make it, please do. Uh, I am hoping to be there. I need to know what my work schedule is going to be first, but I'm praying that I'll be able to, to be there as well. Well, there's a lot going on. Uh, it's three days, two nights. Uh, Brother Booker is going to be there. Brother Fletcher, the, the sectional presbyter of Section 5, great man. Uh, some of you Southerners will appreciate him. Amen. <laughs> uh, gourmet chef. I'm just looking at the thing here. Uh, there's going to be a gourmet chef there. Good grief. Yeah, Brother Dillenbaugh and his staff. He's a professional gourmet chef. He will be smoking and grilling all weekend. My word. You're not feeling the Holy Ghost yet. <laughs> yeah, sorry, ladies. I appreciate your, your desire and your fervency, but... Amen. So, anyway, uh, if you haven't registered, please do. That is going to be an amazing experience for the men. And men, I, you know, women, uh, I'm sorry to say more and more, they're, they're getting just as attacked as men are uh, with all of this gender confusion and, and role reversals and all of these things. Uh, men certainly have been attacked for a while. Uh, made to look like the fool, the idiot. Dad knows worst. Um, he's a bumbling idiot. Uh, and anyway, so 
as men. Obviously, that's not the plan of God for men. And so uh, coming to events like this is, is vitally important for us because we are constantly inundated with this message of inadequacy, of, of failure, of broken promises, and, and the drunken animal, and, you know, whatever it is. Uh, none of those are true. None of those are the plan of God. And so getting the right message is good for us. Getting the right information as to what a man is and who a man should be is so important in this day and age. Please make it a priority. Uh, if at all possible, please be there. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Every service is an opportunity for God to do the miraculous. Every service is important. And, you know, I, I know that a lot of times we, we wait services you know, we got the, we got the, the nice Sunday service, and then we got the kind of relaxed, little more informal Wednesday service. But every service is important to God. Every service is an opportunity for God to do something, and it's a and it's an opportunity for God's people to respond to Him in obedient faith. Amen. And as I've heard several people say, every service could be someone's last. We just don't know. And so it behooves us then, uh, everyone else who are going to continue, hopefully, it might be my last. I don't know. But if it's my last, I want it to be a good one. I want it to be a spiritual one. I want it to be a miraculous one. And so, uh, Thinking along those lines, God has plans for his, for his services. He has plans for us being here. And they're not light plans. They're not, they're not just willy-nilly thrown out there because, okay, they're here, so I better do something. No, that's not it at all. God called us here. God invited us here into his presence for a reason. Amen. So let's pray. Let's ask God that that comes to fruition this morning and moving forward as a church body that God has the liberty that he desires in our services. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for you and for your so great salvation. You are an awesome God. You are a mighty king, and we heap glory and honor unto you, thou most high. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am so thankful for your presence in this place. I am so thankful for another opportunity to come into your presence in this format, to worship and to praise the Lord my God, to give thanks unto you for all that you've done. I understand, Lord, that you have a plan for our service today, that you're an amazing, awesome, miraculous God, and your plans are not low. They're high, and they're mighty, and they're wondrous. I pray, O oh God, that all of your plans would come to fruition in our presence today, that everything you're desiring to give your people would be received. Hallelujah, Jesus. And as we receive the good gifts, the good things from you, Help us to be doers and not hearers only. Help us to, to do something with those things that you give us. To not just sit on them, not bury them in a, in a jar, but to do something with them, to multiply them, to be productive for you in your kingdom. Above all else, Lord, in our presence today, that your name would be glorified here. And all of these things we ask in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Praise God. Amen, amen. Thank you, church. Thank you so very much. You can be seated.
Amen. We're going to continue on with our, our series on the New Covenant. Today we're going to be talking about gates. Gates. Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14 says this, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now this is, at first blush, a little discouraging to understand that the way to salvation is so narrow and so constrained and so, according to this verse, hard. Jesus is giving us some insight into the spiritual world, okay? First of all, there are two and only two ways to choose. There's not a third, there's not a fourth, a fifth, a, a ninety-third. There's two ways to choose. Life and death. Blessing and cursing. Good and evil. There are only two ways to go. And one way is the right way. There's only one right way. Only one. Now, the wide gate, that can involve pretty much anything else. One road leads to life, the other one leads to eternal destruction. There are no third options. God is the one who desires to pay for our sins, but we must receive that gift His way. Okay, again, there are people... Perhaps you were one when, or before you came to the Lord. Uh, Jesus seems really narrow-minded. He seems really uh, inflammatory. He seems really uh, argumentative. He's the only way. Really? I mean, that seems a little arrogant to say that. <laughs> he is God. He can say that. But making people understand that or putting it in, in, a, in a way that, that that's, that's more easily received can sometimes be difficult. And so, understanding that God doesn't send people to hell, okay? Uh, hell was never created for you and me. It was never meant for us to be there. That was never God's plan. People don't seem to get that. After the fact, after we rebelled against God, because of His nature and because of His character, we can't be with Him anymore. He's holy. And getting people to understand exactly what that means Getting me to understand exactly what that means is sometimes difficult. I understand the term. I understand what it, the, the word means. But what does it mean to be holy like God is holy? What does it mean to be perfectly holy, perfectly righteous? Never touched by sin, never, never influenced by, by anything like that is beyond me. But that's who God is. 
He is holy. And he cannot, he cannot be in the presence of sin. He will not be where sin is at. That's why sin separates us from a holy God. So for us to come together, that's got to be resolved. The holiness and the righteousness of God says judgment. That's how it's resolved. We need to judge sin. We need to, it needs to be paid for. That's justice. That is perfect justice. When someone commits a crime, they pay for it. Someone commits a crime against me, I want justice, right? Everybody wants justice, unless it's them. I don't want justice. Not for my sins, not for my crimes. I want mercy. Someone does something to me, I want justice. But when it's me, I want mercy. God is offering mercy. He's offering mercy. But you gotta do it according to the law. His law. God is making every conceivable way open to us to resolve that situation so that we don't have to end up there. But we can't do it our way. That's what got us into this mess in the first place. We did it our way. Our way is that wide gate. That's the way we don't want to choose. The narrow straight gate is the one we want to choose. But that way we got to do things God's way. And if we do it God's way, we can spend eternity with Him. Everlasting life. Death is, by definition, separation. Physical death is where the, the, the spirit separates from the body. Spiritual death is where we are eternally separated from God. That's spiritual death. And for some people, that doesn't seem like that big a deal. But I promise everybody, when you realize that you are eternally separated from God, it's going to hit them in the face. And they'll get to live with that for all eternity. So God is the one who desires to pay for our sins. He already has paid for our sins. But that gift has to be received properly has to be received according to his will. God gives us the power to choose which gate we will enter. He's not going to force you into one gate or another. There is no predestination. Okay, The church is predestinated. The church is going to go up in the rapture. If you want to be predestinated, stay in the church. That's your predestination. You stay in the church. And you will go up in the rapture someday. But he's not going to force you to go one way or the other. He gives you the, the, the ability, the right to choose. Deuteronomy 28 talks about the blessings and the cursings. God sets both ways before his people and lets them choose. Joshua 24:15, Choose you this day whom you will serve. The choice is ours. The choice is everybody's. God gives that, that power that authority, that right, that privilege to us. We get to choose. Okay, gates. In general, gates, first and foremost, are places of transition. Okay? 
you're entering into the city from somewhere else. Or you're exiting out of the city to somewhere else. It's a place of transition. It's a meeting place and for assemblages. Assemblages. Okay, most everyone passed through the gate every day. So it became kind of the center of public life. At the gate is where the markets were held. You do all your shopping there. It's where teachers and prophets went with their message because that's where all the people would be. They went to the gate and they preached and they taught there. The gate is where legal tribunals were, where the elders and the judges would sit in the gate. Oppression in the gates was a synonym for judicial corruption. Because, again, that's where they would sit and hold judgment. The gates were a place of strategic value. Uh, to possess the gate of your enemies would be to possess the city. You possess the gate, you possess the city. Because now you can bring people freely in and out. Because of that, it was generally protected from attacks. Sometimes it would be protected by a tower overhanging the gate. It had flanking projections. Uh, so all angles could be covered. Sometimes they would build an inner gate that could also be defended. But the gate was an important place in a city. And so it's, it's not a coincidence, it's not a mistake that God chose this as a, as a synonym for his, his message here. The way of destruction. Okay, this is the wide gate. You will have almost complete liberty here. Anything you want to do other than serve Jesus Christ is acceptable here. You can keep all of your lusts, your passions, your carnal appetites, or don't. It's up to you. Either way is fine. Everything is okay here except to follow God's laws. That's why it's the wide gate. We can fit anything in here. Except God's law. As long as you stay away from that. You can worship Buddha. You can worship Mao Zedong. You can worship uh, yourself, your spouse, your job, money. Uh, you can claim to worship nothing, which is a lie. <clears throat> but whatever you want. You can mix them all together. Take a little here, a little here, a little bit of that. Put them all together and, and do that. Everything's okay here. Except God. The way is broad. Okay, there's almost nothing to hedge you in. Nothing to hinder you doing what you want to do. And that's really the theme of this gate is do it your way. Whatever you want to do. There are many, many paths here to choose from. Many flavors, many varieties. And all of them will contradict reality or each other. But that's okay too. You don't want to be logical? That's fine. You don't want to make sense? Fantastic. We got a group over here for you. It doesn't matter. There's room to walk anywhere, to do anything, believe anything you want to do. Do anything you want to do. Now that sounds appealing to a lot of people. And again, in my flesh, before I came to the Lord, that would have sounded pretty good to me. No rules. No authority. Just do what you want to do. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? 
No one tells me what to do. I'm in charge of me. And in our flesh, that sounds right. That sounds good. That sounds awesome. Indeed, our country, a little bit, was kind of founded on that. Rugged individualism. Now, it was tempered a lot, thank God, but the idea was kind of underlying there. I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to do it by myself. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to take care of business. I'm going to move my life forward. And there are, there are some positives to that. Okay? Um, there really are, but there are a lot of negatives too that go along with that attitude. That's got to be tempered. Uh, it's, it's okay to be self-sufficient to a point. I mean, I don't want to be asking for help to tie my shoes and feed me and all of that stuff. Hopefully I can take care of that on my own. Okay, that's okay. Uh, larger issues, I definitely want to take to the Lord in prayer. I want to get counsel from people that I trust. Um, so anyway, enough on that. But this gate is uh, propagates that. It propagates that idea that I can do anything I want to do. I should have the right to do what I want to do. And the problem with that is that the end result of that kind of life is wanting. The end result of that lifestyle is, at worst, a painful, rotting death. I'm going to get some kind of disease. I'm going to be eat up with drugs and alcohol. And uh, that is not a good way to go. At best, I'm going to end up very successful according to this world's standards. And I may have some people that I could call friends. But generally, those people I call friends are friends as long as I hold the position I do. Have the resources that I have. As the uh, prodigal son found out, when you have money, you can have all kinds of friends and connections. People are coming to you. It's kind of nice. But when the money ran out, where are the friends? My buddies had said we'd be together for through thick and thin. Lifelong friends. Well, that didn't last. That is generally the results you're going to find at this gate. At the end of it is disappointment, despair, broken hearts, Bitterness, it's a broken life. There's nothing waiting for us at the end of that. We did all we wanted to do. We, we experimented with everything that, that caught our eye. And at the end of it, I'm miserable, I'm alone, and it seems like life is absolutely worthless. I don't know how many people I've read from a few that I've spoken to, they confirm this to me again and again and again. This kind of a life is, it leads to despair. It leads to hopelessness. 
There's nothing waiting for us at the end of that except death. Many, however, will choose this gate. There's a danger in following the crowd. The majority in this world are most certainly wrong. The majority in this world is choosing this gate. Unfortunately. And so... When we follow the crowd, when we want to belong, and that is a powerful motivator for people, you and I included, we want to belong to something. It's built into us. We're social creatures. Even the most introverted of us want to, want to be with people from time to time. We need that connection. And so, understanding that when the majority is propagating a certain philosophy or a certain lifestyle, it's very tempting to follow through with that. It's very tempting to, to follow the crowd in that. Following the majority is a very real compulsion, and it will lead us to destruction if we're not careful. The Bible refers to us as sheep. Now, sheep... One thing about them is they have a strong instinct to follow the sheep in front of them. When one sheep decides to go somewhere, the rest of the sheep usually follow along, no matter where he's going. It doesn't matter where the sheep's going. It's just kind of an instinctual thing to follow the movement. If it leads them over a cliff, that's where we're headed. Sheep are very social animals. They'll usually stay together in a group while grazing, and they'll become highly agitated if it's separated from the group. Okay, It's this banding together in large groups which kind of protects it from predators. The predators usually will go after the outliers, those that are not in the group. The majority wants us to follow them, and they will do everything they can to get us to follow them. They don't want you convicting them with your holy lifestyle. Okay, can I just say it like that? They become very uncomfortable around us when we don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't go to parties, we don't go to this, we don't do that, but we do go to church a lot. We don't swear, we don't cuss, we tell the truth, we're good witnesses at work, we're there early, we, we stay late if we need to. All of these things are convicting to people. <clears throat> like coming in late to service, for example. That's convicting. <laughs> I'm kidding, glad you're here, bud. <laughs> so, they want us to follow them, okay? We set ourselves apart. We are separate, a holy and a separate people. Not separate from people, but separate from that lifestyle, separate from the world. And so, when we do that, when we separate ourselves like that, 
they notice. And a lot of times they don't like it. They don't like what God's doing in them. They don't like the feeling they get. Now they feel kind of bad about doing the things they do. They don't feel so comfortable in that anymore. But rather than change, hey, maybe it'd be a good idea if I start doing that. No, they start thinking, I need to get him over here so I don't feel this way anymore. That's what people start thinking. And so they'll do everything they can to get us there. They'll use flattery, mockery, peer pressure, threats, bribes, whatever they can do to get you to just take a drink, to just come here for a little bit, spend time with us at the party. You don't have to drink. Just just come with us or whatever it is, just a little bit, just just right now, which will lead to something else and something else and something else. And before you know it, you're right where they're at. Following the crowd. We cannot be influenced by the crowd. We are the ones that should be influencing them. We are the ones that need to be salt and light. We talked about that in an earlier message. Who you spend time with matters. It really does. Now, I'm not saying don't spend time with sinners. We need to spend time with sinners. We need to teach them Bible studies. We need to answer questions. We need to minister to their needs. But I'm not going to spend time with them at the bar. Okay? Uh, you know, I've heard other people say different things. That's fine. Uh, I'm not going to spend time with them at the bar. Okay? That's just me. Uh, I think I could spend time with them in a lot of other places. Okay, if they're going to spend literally 24 hours in the bar, uh, I'll pray for them. <laughs> but, but I'll meet them at a restaurant. I can meet them at their house, my house, whatever. But I want to spend time with them in that capacity to give them Jesus, because that's what they need. They need Jesus. Okay? They don't need me to condone their lifestyle. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. It doesn't matter. They don't need that. They need to be convicted. I needed to be convicted of my sin. Without conviction, there's no repentance. And without no repentance, there's no salvation. They need conviction. So let them be, not condemnation. Okay, we all understand the difference, right? We're not wagging our finger at them, looking down our nose at them. But we're letting God convict them of sin. So that they can come to a place of repentance. So that they can be saved. That's the kind of time we want to spend with sinners. Not at parties. Not in their environment. In our environment. Amen. But who you spend time with matters. They will influence you whether you want to, them to or not. People will influence each other. Okay, now hopefully, as we get older and more mature, 
that were a little bit more solid, a little bit more rooted. Now, I'm talking secularly right now. Uh, as people grow older and become more mature, their personalities uh, were different than we were 20, 30, 40 years ago. We're different. We're different people. We're hopefully more confident, uh, at least in ourselves. We're more comfortable being us. And uh, so that means I'm less susceptible to someone trying to alter that in some way. But younger people, they don't have that yet. Younger people are very impressionable, again, whether they want to admit it or not. Younger people are more impressionable. And so the people that younger people spend time with are going to impress on them more uh, more potently than if I spent time with them or if you spent time with them. And so we need to choose who we hang out with. We need to hang out with people. We need to have friends. We need to have those social connections. But the people that we spend the majority of our time with in that capacity ought to be people of God. They ought to be people who are going to influence me toward Jesus Christ, not away from. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that everybody has to go to this church for you to be friends with them. I'm not saying even that they have to be UPCI to be to be friends with them. But if they are bringing you closer to God, that's a good thing. If they're moving me away from God, I need to reconsider the relationship. Spend less time with them, maybe break it off completely, I don't know. But my relationship with God ought to be, that ought to take precedence over everything else. That's my precedence. That's my focus. That is what is most important to me is my relationship with Jesus Christ. If I don't have any friends down here, that would stink. Okay? But I know I have Jesus Christ. And at the end of everything, I'm going to be spending eternity with Him. And that's not going to matter anymore. Well, thank God I can still have friends <laughs> down here and have a relationship with God. But the two can be compatible. They can build each other up. And that's the kind of relationships we need. That way, when we are spending time with the sinner, we can influence them, them influence them more perfectly. Don't follow the crowd. Follow after truth. The way of life. This gate is narrow. Death, discipline, conversion are at this gate. I have got to die to myself to enter into this gate. I have got to set aside all of my hopes, dreams, my plans for the future. I've got to convert. I've got to change who I am at a most fundamental level to enter through this gate. And I've got to walk a life of discipline. I've got to forsake my own lusts, my own passions, and follow after Someone else. Jesus Christ. And I've got to discipline myself every day to do that. Because my old nature, he's going to keep popping up. 
no matter what I do to it, as brutal as I can be to it, it keeps popping up from time to time. And I've got to keep putting them back down. And I've got to be vigilant. Because my old nature ain't stupid. It knows how to trick me. It knows my weaknesses. It knows how to get in and start talking to me. So I've got to be very disciplined and very, very vigilant. Those aren't fun words. Not like the white gate. The white gate sounds fun. This one sounds not fun. We've got to possess a new heart, a new mind to get through this gate. We've got to think differently than we thought before. Our worldview changes. Our philosophies change. Our ideas of truth change to get through this gate. Moving through this gate involves swimming against the current, going against the majority, and we just talked about how hard that can be. When you're the only one at school, when you're the only one at work, living this way, it can get discouraging sometimes, if we're perfectly honest. Some of us have in the past or are presently finding ourselves at odds with family and loved ones. That's not fun. That's very difficult. That's my mom and dad. That's my brother and sister. That's my, my children. I love them. Now it seems like they hate me. They don't want to be around me. They, they won't answer my calls. That's hard for people to, to go through. We're even going to have to fight against ourselves. We talked about that. Our old natures. We're going to have to stoop down to fit through this gate. It's a small gate. It requires humility. Complete surrender to Jesus Christ and obedience and submission to His will. Now that's the exact opposite precept that was taught in the wide gate. In the wide gate, you get to do what you want to do. You choose right and wrong. Here, I've got to subjugate myself to somebody else's idea of right and wrong. Somebody else's plan for my life. That's what we have to do to get through this gate. Now, at first blush, seems like the wide gate's got a lot going for it. And the narrow gate, you're not doing a good job selling this, this gate here to me. Now, we talked about the end of the wide gate. But that's way off in the future. I can just live the way I want now. And then later on, maybe when I retire and the kids grow up, then I'll take a look at this gate. You ever hear that? Isn't that frustrating? Are you listening to yourself? Do you hear the words coming out of your mouth? 
<laughs> like you know exactly how long you're going to be around. You know exactly how life is going to go from here till then. When we die out to self, that sounds harsh. When we say that we have to subjugate ourselves to someone else's plan, someone else's ideas of right and wrong, that sounds wrong to our natural old selves. But it is so right when you, when you break it down and examine the results. When I give myself to Jesus and I let him direct my steps, and I let him tell me what's right and wrong, I have a peace, I have joy, all through the, the very worst scenarios. I don't like the scenarios, I don't have, I'm not happy in the scenarios, but I can still have joy. I can still have peace in the worst situations. In the best situations I experienced in the wide gate, I was nervous and fearful. Someone's going to take something away from me. Someone's going to do something to me. If I say the wrong words, they're going to use it against me. I was very paranoid. And some of it rightly so. Some of it was used against me. But I did it, I did that to other people too. This way sounds hard. But it is the easiest way to live. It is the absolute easiest way to live life. Jesus says the way is hard. We don't get to enter the promised land after we cross the Red Sea. We get to go through the wilderness first. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason Israel had to go through the wilderness before it got to the promised land. They had to learn how to fight. They had to learn how to obey and to submit to God. They needed to learn to trust in Him. All of these things we need to learn. As we live life, we go through situations that help us to learn these things. Again, we don't like them. They're not pleasant when we're in them. But after the fact, we can generally see, oh yeah, okay, I see what happened. That's pretty cool. Thank you, Jesus. We go through trial and test so that he can refine us, so that he can perfect us. It is his perfect will and desire for all people to, first of all, be saved, and afterward, to become Christ-like. Everyone that's been saved, it's his desire that we be like him, Christ-like. So we'll go through these tests and trials, these circumstances and situations to purge us, to refine us. We go through fire so that the dross can be removed from our lives. We're hedged in by God's law. Rather than get to do whatever we want, live by whatever code we desire, we have this strict moral code, this law, the God's law, God's commandments. That we've got to follow. I don't get to kill you when you upset me. I don't get to take your stuff because I feel like I deserve it more. 
etc., etc. Even if I want to. I'm not allowed to. Jesus tells me it's wrong. Jesus tells me no. Thank God. Because it is not in us to know right from wrong. We don't know right from wrong. We think we do. We think we know the right way to go. We think we know what's good for us, but we don't. God does. We can get to the place even where we believe the exact opposite is good. We can believe that it's Alex put me onto this this uh YouTube guy and uh he's a Christian and, and he's got good stuff. And he was doing a kind of a breakdown of this uh this preacher, homosexual preacher, who says that uh your polygamous your homosexual relationship is holy and righteous in the sight of God. And he believes that with all of his heart. He thinks that's true. He thinks that's right. My point is, we can convince ourselves of anything we want. And the guy kind of breaks down how he got there using scripture and, and twisting scripture. <laughs> I saw, I saw a comic recently that said, uh, the preacher was walking around with his bug, and it said, I can do all things through a scripture taken out of context. <laughs> and then there was a board member that said, we got to talk about this. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was pretty funny, but kind of true, though. There are people that will warp and twist scripture to conform to their ideas of right and wrong. As an aside, uh, scripture is there to tell us what's right and wrong. We don't come to, we don't come to God with these preconceived ideas of right and wrong and ask Him to bless that or confirm that for us. We come with an open slate and we tell God, I don't know. Can you teach me? Can you tell me what's right and wrong? Show me in your word. And He does. And when we live by that, life is great. Life is wonderful. Not always easy. Definitely not always easy, but even in the worst scenarios, life is great. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I've tried both sides. For better or for worse, I have that experience, and I, I can tell you with that experience, it's not worth it. There is nothing, there's nothing in this world for us. Nothing. <clears throat> we must learn to discipline our bodies, our minds, and bring them into subjection to Christ. Okay, that's something that is learned. We're not born with it. And it's an active, it's an active, uh, thing. We've got to actively discipline our minds and bodies. We've got to wake up in the morning understanding that if I'm not careful, I'm going to do something stupid. That's who I am. And so I need God to help me. I need God to help me live for Him. Give me the power, give me the strength to do the things that are right. 
We've got to learn to do battle against our enemies, and we're doing a whole series on that, so I won't spend too much time on this, but it's vital. It's important. We have enemies, and we're not supposed to roll over and sow our bellies. That's not that's not God's plan. God's plan is you draw your sword and, and conquer the enemy. When the enemy comes at you, you come back twice as hard. Enemy takes something from you, you take it back and something else from them. That's how we do the enemy. All right, we've got to learn to trust in God and to stand on his promises no matter what. And the no matter what is what I struggled with when I first came to God. It's easy to, to honor God's promises. It's easy to pay my tithes when I got plenty left over. Okay? I say it that way. Tithes and offerings are easy when I got plenty left over. But when I got nothing left over, or worse yet, doesn't seem like I have enough, can I pay my tithes and offerings then? I hope the answer is yes. Because God's promises are not contingent on my circumstances. Okay? They're not. God's promises stand all by themselves. And it doesn't matter what circumstance I find myself in. Whether I got a million in the bank or a buck two ninety eight, I can pay my tithes and offerings confident that God is going to, to provide the rest. He's going to make up what I need. He's my provider. We go to work, you know, we get a paycheck, but at the end of the day, God gives me the intellect, God gives me the strength, God gives me the ability to do that. It's God that provides for us, not the employer. God's using the employer maybe, but he can use anything else too. So it's it's God that provides for us. But we've got to do it his way. If we want him to provide, I want him to provide. I've got to take care of my responsibilities. My ties and my offerings. Ministering to other people's needs. If I focus on other people's needs, God's going to take care of my needs. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful plan. And so, all of those things look good on paper. And they preach well. But actually doing them in the tough times is really difficult for us. Because then we start to question, and we start to doubt, and we start to become afraid. What if? What if God doesn't do this for me? What if something happens, and, and what if I'm not, what if there's something in me? God's not going to honor the promise. What, what if I'm doing this wrong? All kinds of stuff can come to our minds so that we won't have to follow through with it. Really, what our old nature is doing is trying to talk us out of obeying God. That's what's happening here. <clears throat> we have got to learn to trust in God and to stand on his promises no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation. Jesus says only a few will find this gate. It's a small gate. It's not very well adorned. Many will pass by it unawares not even recognizing what it is. 
the importance of this plain, normal, small-looking gate. Some will look on it, understand what it is, and reject it. They'll weigh the pros and the cons, and they'll decide, nah, that's not for me. Others will start down this path only to turn back when it becomes hard. The Bible talks about the word falling on different kinds of ground. And we definitely, we definitely see that in our journey toward heaven. Different people in, in various stages of this, different kinds of ground. <clears throat> I don't know why your ground was fertile, my ground was fertile, and others just wasn't. I don't, I don't understand that aspect of it. But I do know that there are people with fertile ground. I do know that there are people with stony ground, with thorns, yeah, right next to each other. And so, the people that uh, the people that come to the Lord initially, and they taste God, and they see that He's good, and they experience His mercy and His love, and and they're all in. It seems, and you know, they start praying and reading their Bible, and they're coming to church faithfully, and they want to get involved, and then all of a sudden, one day, they're gone. They're just gone. You call them up, you finally get a hold of them, and yeah, the pastor said something, or sister so and so said something, brother so and so said something to me, and and I didn't like that, and I think I'm going to try to find another church. And I'm like, I just, I've talked to people that have come back from that because I'm genuinely curious. You know, I don't want to offend anyone when I, when I ask them this, I tell them that, but I'm like, so you backslid for a while and then you came back. What, what made you backslide? What, what made you give this up? I mean, you know what you have now and you know, they're very happy that God forgave them and then they're back in the, in the covenant relationship they understand what they have right now, so I ask them, what made you throw all that away? What what made you walk away from this? And it's some of the weirdest, I, I, I don't want to say dumbest answers, but I don't know what else to use. Uh, they got offended. Primarily, they got offended at something. Uh, someone said something to them, and they didn't agree with it. Uh, someone... For women, generally, it's someone talked about their skirt length or their their hair length or makeup or something like that. And I hope no one here does that. I don't believe anyone does. Uh, but just as an announcement, general, to the church, don't do that. Okay? Please don't do that. Uh, let God convict them. Let them work out their own salvation between them and God. If If anything needs to be said, I'll say it. Okay, uh, don't just love people, encourage them to, to, to come, encourage them to move forward in God. Uh, there are people that do have questions about that. If they come to you with questions, answer them biblically. I mean, that's fine. Answer them biblically. But let them know that, you know, God is going to, God is going to deal with that at the right time. <clears throat> let God deal with that at the right time.
just keep moving forward in God. Okay? Uh, it's an important issue. Definitely. It's scriptural. Uh, it needs to be taken care of at some point, but let God deal with it. All right. Um, but, but they have these, these, these things that happen to them. People have said stuff and, and it's, you walked away because of that? I mean, I don't, I don't want to sit here and brag. You guys could come up and say the exact same thing. I've had stuff happen to me way worse than that in church from people, from my brothers and sisters. And a lot of you have too. So what's different? I never once considered walking away. I was upset. I was hurt, but I never blamed God for it. I never, it never even crossed my mind. I don't. And like I said, a lot of you could come up here and, and give very similar examples, but that's not God's fault. The church is filled up with people. People are dumb. People are, people do dumb things. I'm a people. I do dumb things. I'll say stuff that my wife is like, you, you shouldn't say stuff like that. I'm like, what did I say? Okay, okay, I'll stop saying it. I don't know why, <laughs> but, but I don't know. And so that's what people do. We're imperfect. The church is filled with imperfect people. So if you are perfect, please be merciful to me. Cut me some slack. <laughs> Because I'm not. I'm not perfect. Amen. So, Jesus teaches that only a few are going to find this. Uh, this gate. This straight and narrow gate. But it's up to us to maximize those that do find it. Those that do find it, they want it. They want it so desperately. We wanted it. I still want it. And... And so we're, we're going to love them and minister to them and do everything we can to keep them moving forward through this gate so that they can spend eternity with Jesus just like we will. Amen. In conclusion, our attention is always drawn on to the road we're on. I see that bike riding a lot. Brother Shepherd will back me up on this. If I, if I see something in the road that I want to avoid, I've got to look somewhere else. If I look at the obstruction, somehow I always hit it. I don't know how that is, but I'm always, and I'm actively trying to steer away, but it keeps moving toward that thing. So I gotta look somewhere else and then I can avoid it. Our attention is always drawn to the road we're on. The object of our focus is where, where we head. We've got to keep our attention on our destination. That destination is Jesus Christ. That destination is heaven. Amen. Let's all stand.